0: So, how many of you grew up in a small town? How many of you still live in a small town? So, (laughs) I grew up in a small town, but I think I didn't realize fully what it meant to live and grow up in a small town until I was much older. I mean, I went away for high school and then for college, but I don't think it was until we moved to Minnesota, uh, the second church we served as pastors, that I really began to understand what a small town was like and what it meant to be as part of a small town and there was a man in the congregation we served there named Wally Anderson and Wally had this habit of every time I would meet someone he would connect me to all the people in that I knew so we could be in the town of Staples which was 10 miles from where the church was so this was a little country church started by swedish lumberjacks back in the mid 1800s and it sat about 10 miles out of town and the town was only about 3,000 people. There was like a little drugstore and a Burger King and one other restaurant and a hardware store and a small grocery store, and that was the town. Um, so we were 10 miles out of town. But we could be in town, and somebody would walk into the the diner there, and Wally would say, oh, yeah, that's Bob. And, and then he'd tell me about how Bob was connected to this person who was connected to this person who went to our church, which we had about 60 people. But he managed to almost nearly every person... I met or introduced to, he could tell me something about them or who they were connected to or how they were involved. And that's part of what it's like to live in a small town, is that there are all these connections, all these relationships. And one of the things that can be both good and bad about living in a small town is lots of people know who you are. Lots of people maybe know your parents or your grandparents. And sometimes what can happen is they think they know who you are because they've heard stories about you. They have a picture of what you're like because someone else told them a story. And we know how stories go. One person tells a story and another person tells a story. And eventually the story has changed a little bit. And so maybe you've experienced some of that. Where you're walking along and somebody, you tell them who you are, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait. And all of a sudden, they start telling you all sorts of things about yourself, even though you've never met them before. Because they've heard about you from somebody else. And sometimes the things they tell you about yourself are things you say, really, I didn't know that. Because you're a little surprised by that. Well, that's what happens here in the story of Jesus. Because Jesus was from a small town, the town of Nazareth. Archaeologists, maybe 500 people, more likely 150, 200 people. So this is a really little town. And in a town of somewhere between two and five hundred, that may be only thirty or forty families, generously, maybe even smaller than that. So you can imagine this this tiny little town and so Jesus comes back and so we're going to look at this story and see what it might tell us, not just about being a small town, but what it looks like to share the good news of who Jesus is and so we're in the sixth chapter of the gospel of mark we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and looking at how Jesus has proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. That Jesus has proclaimed that God reigns and what that means and how it impacts us. And so now he's coming and he comes to the small town and he says he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. And then they start in, well, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given from him? And so there's this picture of almost like wait a minute, we know this guy. He's from the same little town we are. Who does he think he is? Where does he think he got this great education and got so much wisdom that he can come here and tell us all these things? What are these remarkable mirrors you'll be Isn't this the carpenter? And when it refers to Jesus as a carpenter, uh, in Greek the word tekton, it could be, a, could be somebody who works with wood, could be somebody who works with stone, could be somebody who works with metal. It's not entirely clear what Jesus did. One ancient historian does talk about Jesus making plows and yokes, so we probably believe he worked with wood, but he very well may have been a mason, or maybe a multifunction, done a number of different things. But to be a tekton, to be a carpenter, was not a highly regarded position. In fact, it was something that was very much looked down on by a lot of people. So it's kind of one of those things where the townspeople are saying, really? He's the carpenter. He can't say anything to us. What sort of wisdom could this guy possibly have? And then, isn't this Mary's son? Which is a little bit of a dig at Jesus. Because typically in the ancient world, when someone was referred to, they were referred to by whose their father was. And so to say, well, isn't this Mary's son, is kind of a way of saying, well, we don't really know who the dad is. Which is sort of this insult to his, his heritage and his birth and saying, oh, yeah, we know who he is. His mom's Mary, that one, well, we don't really know where he came from. And so they're kind of questioning who he is. They're beginning to wonder, how could he possibly have anything to tell us? It's sort of this sense of, well, we know who he is. We know all about him. He came from this little town. We know his brothers and his sisters. He's just a carpenter. He's just a nobody. He can't possibly have anything to teach us. And what's interesting as they're questioning him is if we were to read those first five chapters of Mark to go back through, there's a number of times when Jesus encounters evil spirits and the evil spirits name him. They say, oh, this is the son of God. But here are these people who are questioning who he is. And what they're doing is they're wondering, Can God work through somebody like that? Could God possibly do something through a person like that, through someone who came from this small town? And so as I was reading that, I was wondering, those are maybe questions for us to think about. Do we wonder if God can work through certain people? As we've grown up in small towns and we've been around people and we know people, we have all these different connections. And then maybe we hear somebody's leading a Bible study or somebody's become a pastor at a church or they're going to serve as a missionary. And We start to say, well, really, that guy? That girl? Well, I knew her when I, she was growing up. And so do we have questions like that? Do we sometimes wonder if God can work through certain kinds of people? based on their background. Maybe we think they're not anything special, or maybe it goes the other way around. Maybe people look at us. Maybe people wonder about us. And as we start to tell them about Jesus, maybe we start to tell them about what the things we're doing at church and how we're learning and growing, and they say, wait a minute, I know you. I know your parents. I know where you grew up. I know what you do. Do you really expect me to believe that God is doing something for you and through you? Or maybe we could take it a step higher and say, here are these people who grew up knowing who Jesus was, but then Jesus comes back and they kind of question who He is. They wonder about Him. And so maybe some of us know people who grew up in the church, They grew up familiar with Jesus, they grew up around Jesus, and they kind of say, yeah, I know all about Jesus, but they question lots of things. And so even as we get into the story, there's questions that we might be asking, but then what we see Jesus do is he comes in and people are questioning him, and he takes his followers and he tells them, I want you to go out. And it says Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. And again, remember, the 12 were these primary disciples, 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he had many, many other disciples, many other people who followed him, but he calls these 12 in particular. And he sends them out two by two. Two by two, probably partly for protection. A lot better to be traveling alone. And also, two, sir, was a way in the Bible. You had two people, you needed two people to be witnesses. And so he sends them out two by two. And he gives them instructions. But what's interesting in the instructions, he doesn't go give them detailed instructions on, well, now here's what you say to tell people about me. He doesn't give them a four-point or a three-point presentation of the good news. He doesn't say, but what does he say? He tells them what to bring. What does he tell them? Well, take nothing for the journey. And when I go places, I tend to, I'm one of those people who tend to overpack. And usually there's two, there's different categories of people. There are those people who just know, they know exactly what to bring and they always manage no matter how long the trip is, they seem to be able to get it into a little bag about this big. And then there are other people like me who just have a big bag and I'm always thinking, well, but what if it gets cold? What if it gets warm? What if there's a gym there and I can work out? And what if I get, and I end up with a pile of clothes and maybe some books to read and some other things along the way. And I think, we've got a big car. There's lots of room. We can put more in there. How many of you are like that? There's probably a few of you. How many of you are married or travel with somebody like that? So there's, there's all those things where we're going along and you're saying, oh, and here's Jesus, don't take anything. Well, you can take your staff. That's all right. He says, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. How many are anxious to go on that journey? No food. You don't even get any money. He said, well, you can wear your sandals, but don't bring an extra pair of clothes. You think, well, what in the world is Jesus doing here? Why is he doing this? I wish we, Jesus would say, well, here's why I don't want you to do it. And there's several ideas, several theories about why Jesus is doing it this way. And I think part of the reason is that it's this sense of urgency. It's like you don't have time to pack. You've got a job to do. I want you to go out and I want you to do this. And there's also a sense where he's saying, you're not going on a sightseeing trip. I'm sending you to Capernaum. I'm sending you to Caesarea. I'm sending you to all these places. You're not going down to check out the Roman aqueduct. You're not going to see these things over here. You're not going to see the sights. You're not going to lounge by the Sea of Galilee and get a suntan. He said, you've got a mission to do. And so you don't need all that other stuff. You just need your staff and your sandals because you're going and you're walking. And so there's this sense of urgency. There's also this sense of saying, Jesus saying, this isn't a vacation. This isn't meant to be a trip of comfort. Doesn't sound like it to me. No bread, no bag, no money. This isn't about that, but it's saying, I want you focused on one thing. And what does Jesus want them focused on? The kingdom. Telling people the good news. He's saying, this is what I want you focused on. And he even says, well, if you go in a place and it says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And in those days, there was this ancient code of hospitality. And so they would go in and and someone would invite you in and you would stay at that house. And part of what Jesus is saying is, when you come somewhere and they invite you in to stay there, stay at that house. Don't be looking around and saying, well, this house is kind of nice, but that one over there, man, I heard she makes a great breakfast. And they actually have beds instead of the floor I'm sleeping on at this place, so maybe I'm going to go over there. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I want you to stay where you are because, again, this isn't about comfort. It's not about our own comfort, but it's about this focus on the mission. It's about this urgency of what God is calling them to do. And there's also a sense where Jesus is saying is, I want you to trust in what I will provide. Trust in what provision? Because Jesus sent them out with what? A staff? He said, well, you can take a staff and you can have your sandals. Did he give them anything else? Well, they got their clothes, yeah. we back up a little bit. And it says in verse 7, He began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority. He gave them his own self, his authority, as they were going out. And he was saying, this is what you need. He said, you don't need all those other things. And if we were to read through the rest of our New Testament, particularly the letters of Paul as his missionary, that's kind of what he says. He says, I don't come with wisdom. I don't come with fancy words. I'm not trying to teach you about Jesus by dazzling you with light shows and lasers. Well, Paul didn't have those kind of things, but you get the point. He said... He said, I'm not trying to overwhelm you, but I'm coming to tell you about one thing. I'm coming to tell you about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus calls his followers to do. He's involving us in his mission. And just as he sent his disciples, he sends us. He says, I want you to go out and to share the good news of who Jesus is. And I want you to go and to realize that when you go places... When you share with people, they might question your background. They might question where you grew up. They might question those things that you used to do. They might even question some of the things you do now. They might have heard stories about you. They might know go, but Jesus says those things don't matter. And Jesus also tells us and reminds us here, he says, there's going to be challenges and troubles. And we know that because this story is followed immediately by another. And we didn't read the rest of the story, but if you were to read on, beginning at verse 14, there's this whole story of John the Baptist. Remember, We remember John was Jesus' cousin who came as this forerunner and who was telling people all about Jesus. Well, John had a habit of not being afraid to call people out. And one of the people that he was talking about was the wife of Herod the king and he was talking about this relationship that was going on and he he was making public and saying this is not the way to live and it says Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested Um, this is down verse 17 he did this because of Herodias his brother Philip's wife whom he had married so there's this weird complicated relationship so basically Herod isn't doing these things and so Herod has John arrested so that he'll stop telling everybody that what he's doing is a bad thing but then there's this whole party, and there's a dancer, and eventually John ends up executed. And you think, well, why did Jesus tell this story? Why do we tell this story? Why does gospel Mark tell this story of the gospel? And what's interesting then is this story appears, so the workers go out. Then we get this story about John the Baptist. And then down in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So there's this little sandwich that happens. Jesus says, I want you to go out and I want you to just take your staff and your sandals and I want you to go with my authority and I want you to teach and I want you to go out and do these things. And then there's a little interruption in the story. Oh, and what's the interruption in the story? About somebody else who was teaching about the kingdom of God. And what happened to them? They ended up with their head on a platter. And then the disciples come back and say, they come and they tell Jesus all that's gone on and I think part of what Mark is trying to do here for us is to say sometimes when we go out sometimes when we tell people about Jesus it doesn't end real well and Jesus is reminding them Jesus himself how did the story begin Jesus himself coming into town and people are asking all kinds of questions they didn't kill him at least not yet they end up killing him eventually don't they Jesus comes into town and people are kind of questioning him. They're calling him names. They're saying bad things about him. Then there's a story of John who's executed. And it's a reminder that even the power to do miracles doesn't make us immune from suffering and death. That the mission to the world can lose us friends. It can lose us influence. It can lose us power. But it's what we're called to do. And it's part of accepting this as a reality that sometimes telling us about Jesus, telling others about Jesus doesn't turn out well for us. I mean, I always like to hear the stories. I go to conferences or hear pastors talking and they'll say, oh, and... Then I was sitting on this plane and I got to talking about this person and they, they asked me about the book I was reading and I began to tell them and then I shared Jesus with them and they gave their life to Jesus and all of a sudden the person across the aisle gave their life to Jesus and then it just went all down the plane and the pilots came out of the cockpit and everybody on the plane gave their life to Jesus and we landed at the airport and it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you begin telling the person about Jesus and they try and throw you out the plane. And so there's this story that goes on and to, say, to recognize that it's not always easy to tell people about Jesus. And I think we need to remind ourselves about that, that telling others about Jesus can sometimes lead to bad things happening to us. And the truth is, that doesn't encourage me a whole lot. I mean, I like to be comfortable. I told you I like to pack and take lots of stuff. I don't like the idea of going out and not having food not having money in my belt, not having all those things. But Jesus says that's how important it is to tell people about Jesus, that sometimes we risk losing friends, sometimes we risk losing those things, and sometimes it costs us in deep ways. But it's also a reminder here that Jesus tells us is to remain focused on the mission and not on our personal comfort. Remember I said that's part of what was going on with these disciples was saying, It's not a vacation, it's not a trip, and so we don't get focused on our personal comfort. Years ago, I heard about a church, and they had a phrase that they used in their congregation, and that phrase was, we need to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. We need to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. And what they were saying is, sometimes in church, sometimes when we've grown up, we have are ways we like to do things. And we get stuck in those and we like them because they're comfortable. And that's the truth of things, right? You have that pair of shoes, that sweater, that couch, which they've gotten comfortable because you're used to them. You've grown around them and you say, Oh, that's just it just it, it just fits right. I like the way that is, and I like to be here. Same thing happens in church could be the pew we sit in. It could be the songs we sing. It could be the order of service. It could be the sermons. It could be the way the Sunday school classes run. It could be all sorts of things in church. And we begin to get comfortable. We like those. And that's a human, naturally human thing. It's to get comfortable. We do it in all kinds of things in our life. Many of us maybe eat the same thing for breakfast every day. Or we have these common things we do on you know, for lunch, or we do certain things on certain days of the week because we like comfort, we like routine, and we don't like it when somebody interrupts our routine. We don't like it when somebody makes things difficult for us and we have a certain way of doing things. We like to go in this door and we like to go over here and get this thing and pick it up from the store and all of a sudden that door in the store is closed. What is going on here? I mean, they remodeled Meyer a while ago and it drove me crazy for a while. I still can't find things. Because they moved all these things around. And now if they move things around and it bothers me that much at my grocery store, imagine what it's like when they move things around at church. Which is this thing we think, oh, this is where I met God. And that's what happens sometimes is we meet God in a particular way. There's some music that appeals to us. There's a way, there's a scripture there's a translation of the scripture that we read, there's a a certain way of preaching, there's a kind of Sunday school class, and we meet God in that place and it's comfortable to us. But sometimes God calls us to go outside of that and to be a little inconvenienced. Why? For the sake of the the gospel. That it's not about our own comfort or our own preferences, but it's letting other people know about Jesus. So we've been kind of forced into being inconvenienced over the last nine months by a pandemic where all of a sudden we had to do things a little bit differently. We're wearing masks inside of church. For a long time, we weren't even inside a building. We were watching online and we were participating. And it's partly because we were saying, we're willing to be inconvenienced. We're willing to do things a little bit differently because what matters is telling people about Jesus. Jesus. And I have to imagine that as we move into the coming year that this provides opportunities for us as well as obstacles. I mean, at some point, I imagine we'll be back to the point with, with vaccinations and stuff where a lot of the restrictions will be gone, but there will still be people who will be watching online. And then there will be the fact that there will be people who that may be the first way they ever experience the church. And we might think, wow, well, that's not real church because you're watching online. And you say, wait a minute. Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to do things a little bit differently on how we do our service, on the kind of equipment we have for the sake of people? Because the truth is, a lot of people, some of their first contact, some of their first introduction to the church or to, is online. It's been interesting because even I've had folks, um, my daughter in college has told me about you know, a girl she knew who, for some reason, watched one of our services online and how it affected her. Or somebody happens to walk in the door, or somebody comes along, another person had, had sent me an email. Um, they're connected to the church, but they don't regularly attend the church. Um, and she said she had her, her phone out and she has um, Apple, um, Apple podcast on there, which is this way you can listen to things. And she said she hadn't listened to ours in a long, long time, but all of a sudden it came up as a recommendation. And she listened to this sermon. And she talked about how that had helped her grow. And it was just this wonderful thing to say here's all these different things. And so, is it an inconvenience to have to set up cameras and run all the extra equipment and record things and post things? It is. Is it inconvenient to wear masks and do all these things? It is. But to recognize it's not about our comfort. Just like the disciples were called to go out and to say, well, it's not about your comfort, it's not about our comfort but what matters is the gospel, is what matters is the good news of Jesus. And so we need to be church, thinking, church, we need to be thinking how we sometimes prioritize our own comfort over the good news of Jesus. And are we willing to be inconvenienced? And I don't even like it, mean, that's kind of a minor inconvenience. Are we willing to be uncomfortable? Are we willing to suffer? What are we willing to do for the sake of the good news. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to, just as he invited the disciples, is to say, I want you to be willing to be uncomfortable. I want you to be willing to give up your own comfort. I want you to be willing to take a risk. I want you to be willing to maybe have somebody say something bad about you because what you have to say is far more important. Because what you have to say is that Jesus is king, that he offers you eternal life, that you have forgiveness in him, and that without him you, there is no life. That message is so important that we have to be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. We have to be willing to be inconvenienced. We have to be willing to suffer and endure a little bit. And that's not one of those happy good news messages that you want to hear from your pastor. You want to say, oh, hey, I want to hear something great. And what did you hear in church on Sunday? My pastor said, I have to suffer. <laughs> My pastor wants me to be miserable. <laughs> oh, sounds like a great church. Let's go there. But, but that's the truth of what Jesus is calling us to. I mean, he is calling us to something amazing. He calls us to life and life to the full and life eternal and, and this never-ending well of joy. You know, we could get Ken up here and he could do it. He's like what, the joy, 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 Where? Down in my heart. I mean, we've got this overwhelming sense of joy. We've got sense of peace. We've got all these things. But in the midst of all that, we're also called to be a little bit uncomfortable, to be a little bit inconvenienced. So what I would encourage us to do, invite us to do is to say, how am I willing to be inconvenienced? Are we, as we go into 2021, are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to be a little bit uncomfortable? Are we willing to suffer a little bit for the sake of the good news? And if you need to, think about who are those people that you want to know Jesus? I mean, the disciples were going out, and they were just going out to nameless people. They were just going out in towns into strangers. I'm not even saying that. I'm not saying you have to go knocking door to door, because I'm not sure that's the way to do it. But most of us know somebody. We know somebody. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be somebody at work. Who doesn't know about the good news of Jesus or maybe they know some of it but they haven't chosen to take that step and give their life to Jesus and as you think about them I'd say how uncomfortable are you willing to be how inconvenienced are you willing to be to give up a little bit of time out of your day to change something in your routine to do something a little bit different so that they can know the good news of Jesus And that's the good news we proclaim that Jesus offers life and life to the full. And the good news in the midst of that, yes, you're being asked to be uncomfortable, yes, you're being asked to go out and to do things, but Jesus goes with us. You're not alone in the midst of that, and Matthew at the end of his gospel, reminds us of that. Mark says, "Here he given him authority, but Jesus tells he says, at the end of his gospel, therefore go, he says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we end there. But it ends with what? And I am with you Always. always. So you may be uncomfortable, you may be inconvenienced, but Jesus is with you. So church, can we be inconvenienced? Can we be uncomfortable this year for the sake of Jesus? For the sake of our friends, for God and his glory, amen.